Welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. I am Joe Works in Elmira, New York, and uh, joining us as normal, as usual, Jeff Smelser in Exton, Pennsylvania. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Joe. And uh, back from his world tour, Chase Byers is uh, back in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. How are you doing, Chase? Doing good. It's, it's nice to know that the world uh, includes Greencastle, Indiana. So appreciate you mentioning it, that. It, 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 does, it does include that. Yes. Yes. You know, fun fact about Greencastle, Indiana, which is where I was last week. It's actually named after Greencastle, Pennsylvania. Um, the guy that lived in Greencastle, Pennsylvania moved there and said he liked the name so much. He settled the town and called it Greencastle, Indiana. So why is Greencastle, Pennsylvania named? I knew I knew someone was going to ask that. I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> and, it, and, and Brazil, Indiana is right next door to Greencastle. I wonder why it got its name. But we're going to talk about some other more important things uh, than just those uh, this afternoon. Uh, but that, that is a fun fact. Thank you for sharing that with us, Chase. Well, he's got his pants on and ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So uh, if you are following along with us, uh, if you're still with us after this, um, uh, you might be turning in your Bibles to Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm. We're going to be looking at that this afternoon for a little while. Um, I suspect, guys, would, would there be any argument? Is this the most well-known psalm to the world? Uh, is there any other psalm that you would even think of that might be more well-known? I mean, maybe Psalm 1. I think some people might would have an idea, but if that would only be if they came from a religious background. But Psalm 23 I, is by yeah. far. Is, I is think the, you're right. I think you're yeah. right. Yeah, I, I think if you walked around just to, on, on any street, you know, in the world, even Greencastle, and, and just asked random people uh, to name a psalm, or, or, you know, if you ask them, what is Psalm 23 about? I think that they would, nearly everybody would be able to say something because it is used at one particular event all the time. What's that, what's that event? Funerals? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I was trying to think through. I could probably name on on just my my two uh, two hands the number of times that I've been to a funeral that it hasn't been used. It is extremely common. And 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 there is of course a, a, the concept of um, walking through the valley of the shadow of death in it. But I think you're right. It is so popular. I think if you just walked up to people and said, I'm going to quote a phrase from the Bible, you finish it. The Lord is my, I think yeah. most people would be able to come up with shepherd. Many people would be able to yeah, come exactly. up with shepherd. Right. Uh, the Lord so. is my shepherd. I shall not. And they would be able to come up. They might not know what it means. I shall not want, but yeah. uh, they could say it. Yeah. And, and so uh, because most people have been to a funeral, and so they have they have heard this, and you know it's a very emotional time, and so that sticks with people. and And I'm not knocking that at all. I, I think it's a it's a beautiful psalm to consider during a, a time like that. But I would suggest that if we are sort of reserving Psalm 23 for those times of memorial service and funerals, we're probably missing the greater benefits of this psalm. Amen to that. Um, and so, you know, the psalm is not written for the dead. It's not even written about the dead. It's written about those who are living. And uh, David's psalm here is so powerful. Uh, so we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the psalm, but really 
only a little bit of time talking about the psalm because I want to go back and sort of do an overview of the Bible as it relates to this idea in this psalm. Um, so would one of you all want to just read for us to, to start off, just read the psalm? Sure. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so it is so beautiful that you have David as the one who's the author of this psalm. And, um, you know, we'll make some connections about David and uh, being a shepherd and sheep and, and all of the connections that are, that are listed here in regard to, uh, to King David. But let's just think back, and I'm going to see if I can bring up uh, some slides here, uh, if I can do that without uh, being too confusing. Um, see if I can do that. There we go. Um, and uh, so as you look at this uh, picture here, uh, this is actually on uh, Jeff's uh, sons, Nathan, uh, on his farm over outside of Mansfield, Pennsylvania. Um, and, you know, you've got the tall uh, grass there that's brown, but if you look in that, really there's a pretty thick foliage of, of green grass that these sheep are uh, consuming. And that's the picture that you have even in this picture, uh, in this psalm here in Psalm 23 and in verse 2, the, the green pastures, right? And so I, I like that picture. I, I've uh, uh, borrowed that from, from Nathan. Um, but I want us to think about how sheep and shepherds are portrayed throughout Scripture and how significant they are. And as we go through this, you guys jump in and help explain some of these passages. We're going to go fairly rapid fire. Um, anybody that wants a copy of these slides, I'm happy to provide them for you later. Um, if you just put that in the comment section or something, some way for me to send them to you, I'm happy to do that. But what I title this lesson and other lessons like it is parables in action. And when we talk about a parable, we talk about, uh, you know, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning is the common uh, definition for it. Uh, I heard somebody not too long ago uh, talking about parables and, and uh, there's a few other definitions that could be used for it. But, but that's a pretty, pretty good idea, parallel stories, um, uh, giving us a, a spiritual lesson from something earthly, something uh, physical. Well, many of the things in scriptures are intended to be parables. They're pointing us to something that is greater, something that is higher than just what's here on earth. And so as we think back to shepherd and sheep, and I didn't do that very well with this slide, so I need to switch over to another one here. Give me a second. Uh, sorry about that. Um, it's okay, Boomer. This is uh, proof of my lack of uh, skills for technology i even okay. had to call i had to call scott smelser for a uh, technical expertise earlier today so um, are we also going to be talking about the blind following the blind 
<laughs> that, that would work here, wouldn't it? Uh, so let's think through the Old Testament in regard to sheep and shepherds. And this is by no means, this is not an exhaustive list, but very early on, we see the importance of this biblical thread. For example, in Genesis 4, remember you have Cain and Abel, and uh, Abel offers up his sacrifice. Uh, and, and what is Abel's sacrifice? How is that described? Where does it come from? From the flock. He's yeah. a keeper of the flocks. Yeah, and so very quickly you see this sense of a of sheep and and of a sacrifice of uh, of a sheep. The the very first sacrifice that man uh, produces uh, is is that of uh, of a sheep. I think that's really a a good foreshadowing or foretelling of of what the scriptures are going to present for us in regard to sheep and shepherds. And then after that event there. In Genesis chapter 22, you have earlier, really Abraham's life is surrounded by sheep. He's a shepherd. He has flocks. Uh, he's taking care of them. And uh, one of you guys want to just walk us through quickly Genesis 22, what happens with Abraham and Isaac? Sure. Uh, in Genesis 22, God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, to one of the mountains there, which I will show you and offer him as a burnt offering there, which is just an astonishing thing that God would ask this man to whom he has promised uh, great things, including the fact that uh, through Isaac, he's, his descendants are going to become a great nation. But Abraham, in faith, does what God calls upon him to do, goes to the mountain, tells the young servants, the servants who are traveling with him to, to wait there, and he and Isaac are going to go up on the mountain and worship and then they're going to return. Uh, that's what he says. Of course, he's going up there to sacrifice Isaac, and uh, he gets up there, and on the way up, Isaac says, Father, I see, the, I see the, the fire and the wood for the offering, but where's the lamb? And Abraham responds, God will provide. And of course, they get up there, and Abraham is just about to sacrifice Isaac, and the angel of the Lord calls to him and tells him to, to stop, don't sacrifice Isaac, there's, there's a ram caught in the thicket. Abraham offers that instead of or in place of Isaac. And then God repeats the promises to Abraham that he had already made, including the fact that through Isaac, he's going to make a great nation. And now, there's a lot more meaning to that than, than is just at first apparent. I don't know if you want to go into that. Right. No, no, that, 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 that's good. And so we, you have this sacrifice of, of Isaac that is intended, but then we find a substitute that is produced, and yeah. it's this ram. And, you know, maybe just for the sake of, of everybody listening, uh, when we think about a ram, uh, what, what would be a good definition of a ram? Male sheep. Exactly. And so you have females are ewes, um, uh, babies are lambs. And uh, you have then the male are the rams. And so this male sheep, this male, this ram is going to take the place of, of Isaac and is going to be offered up in, in his stead. Um, and there's all sorts of imagery there of Christ off being offered up. You know, that's Genesis 2 is the first place we read about love, uh, the son that you love, your only begotten son, he mentions um, you know, the sun carries the wood, the ram is caught in the thicket, so you have this idea of thorns around his head, uh, just so much imagery of, of Christ's sacrifice there in Genesis 22, and, but a lot of it is connected with this, uh, this ram, this male sheep there. 
Go a little bit further, we find Joseph down in Egypt. And again, I'm skipping over some things, right? Um, uh, find the Israelites go down to Egypt and the Israelites are going to live separate and apart from the, uh, from the Egyptians because the Egyptians viewed shepherds and, and sheep as an abomination. Uh, they didn't want to have anything to do with, uh, uh, with, with sheep. And so they allowed the Israelites to live separate which helped them to maintain their identity and to continue their, their oral teachings about uh, Jehovah and so forth. And so there's a, a good situation that is presented there. Time goes on and the Israelites are brought into Egyptian bondage then and God sends Moses. Uh, Moses raised for the first 40 years as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, tries to rescue the Israelites becomes a refuge, uh, a, a refugee for a period of time. Uh, he, he escapes, lives out in the wilderness. And in Exodus 3 and in verse 1, that famous text regarding the burning bush, um, uh, it tells us what Moses had become while he was living his 40 years out in the wilderness. And he was a he was a shepherd. He was pasturing his father-in-law's sheep. It's kind of interesting. Before he was ready to lead as a shepherd of God's people, he was literally a shepherd of sheep for 40 years. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and that was going to prepare him by taking care of dumb animals. It was going to prepare him to take care of uh, the, uh, the congregation of Israel. Um, uh, many similarities uh, in regard to, to those uh those Real quickly, we have a comment back on Genesis 22, and you alluded to this, but Pat explicitly makes observation makes the observation that um, Isaac represents us in the last part of that story in Genesis 22, insofar as the ram is a substitute for Isaac. Isaac yeah. doesn't have to be sacrificed, the ram is, and Pat says the ram died instead of him. We are the ones that are supposed to die because of our sin, but the ram slash lamb slash Jesus dies instead of us. Yeah, 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 it's great. Yeah, there, there's a couple of, there's almost a double imagery there for us uh, to appreciate there. Yeah. Uh, so Moses comes back and he tells uh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, the 10 plagues come. The 10th plague is about to come. God prepares the nation of Israel uh, for that by presenting the Passover lamb in Exodus 12. You know, take the lamb, uh, put the blood on the doorpost and lintel. Uh, that lamb is to be sacrificed. It's to, to be eaten. Um, uh, and uh, when the Lord sees that blood on the doorpost, then he would pass over and not allow the destroyer to uh, kill the firstborn in any of those houses. And so the Passover lamb becomes extremely significant for the rest of the Old Testament and well into the new also. Uh, again, skipping over some more things here. Uh, as Moses has now led the people through the wilderness and they are almost ready to enter the promised land, Moses isn't going to be their leader. Moses is going to die. And when God tells Moses that he's going to die, Moses is, is so concerned for the people that he begs God in Numbers 27, 15 through 17, he begs God to present for them another leader. Uh, and he says, so that they will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Keep that phrase in mind, um, that they're not going to be sheep without a shepherd. They need a shepherd. 
And so then in verse 18, or the, the very next verse, who is it that is going to be the successor to Moses? Who's chosen? Joshua. Yeah. And so Joshua is going to be the new leader. And maybe just think about their sheep without a shepherd. And so Joshua is chosen to lead them in Numbers 27 and in verse 18. And Joshua, Old Testament name is equivalent to the New Testament name of what? Jesus. Yeah, and so Joshua, Hebrew, Jesus, Greek, both those anglicized or Englishified, but um, uh, yeah, um, uh, and so we have that imagery of, uh, of, of even Jesus there as well. Okay, before um, you go on from that passage there, Numbers 27, there's an expression there that is the picture of a shepherd leading his sheep out in the morning, out into pasture, and bringing them back in in the evening. And it's this expression, verse 17, talking about the man who will shepherd them, who will go out and come in before them. Yeah. And, and throughout the rest of the Bible, you'll see that expression fairly frequently, going out and coming in. And of course, it, it ends up referring to going about one's activities day to day. <clears throat> and this is one of the things, just a quick note about translations. A lot of times we, we, people like these modern translations, and, and I'm not against modern translations, understand me here, but they like the ones that just read just the way we talk. But when you get a translation that reads just the way we talk, you also lose some of the color. And this is an example of it. If you came to Acts chapter 9, I think it's verse 26, for example, or 27, 28 there, where it talks about Saul coming and joining himself to, to the, himself to the disciples in Jerusalem. First, they were reluctant to accept him, and then they did, and he was with them, going out and coming in. That is using this phrase that has been used throughout the Bible about the sheep, going in and coming out, going out and coming in, and, and there's a whole history that comes to mind. The NIV, however, says, moved about freely. Well, okay, that's what it means. Sure, moved about freely, fine, but you lose the allusion to the to the, sh the shepherding and the sheepfold. So, just a quick thought about translations there. Yeah, go ahead. That, that, that's helpful. No, and, and that's a great connection to make. Again, so much sheep shepherd language just woven throughout these passages. Yeah, fast forward quite a bit, and now let's get to the time of Psalm twenty-three with uh, with King David. Um, uh, and this is only just a, a few of the examples that are there on the slide. Um, uh, when Saul is rejected as king and uh, the prophet is told to go to the house of Jesse to find the new king, to anoint the new king, he goes to Jesse's house. The oldest son passes by. Nope, not him. The next son. Nope, not him. The next son. Nope. All of his sons pass by. And eventually the prophet said, do you, do you not have any more sons? And Jesse says, well, the youngest, David, he's what? He's out in the field. Yeah. yeah, yeah he's, he's taking care of the sheep. Um, and so we're introduced. The first introduction to David is he smells like sheep. He, he, he comes in from the, the, the pasture, having taken care, provided for the sheep, and uh, is going to be anointed to be the next king. And then in chapter 17, you have the story of David and Goliath. And remember David's courage, his faith in God, the five smooth stones and so forth. But remember when it was questioned whether or not he uh, would be capable of, of defeating this man who had been a warrior from his youth, Goliath, David uh, explained a little bit of his history. 
that when he was tending his father's sheep, the bear and the lion had come along and tried to, to, to rob the flock, and David had killed them. And so you have this man who is protecting sheep, uh, again, very early on. When Saul eventually dies and the nation of Israel is going to uh, accept David as king in 1 Chronicles 11, 1 through 3, they even say, even when Saul was our king, you were the one who shepherded uh, us. Uh, you were the one who shepherded the nation. So you have all these illusions of David, and then you have 2 Samuel 12. Uh, this is an unfortunate one, right? 2 Samuel 11 is the story of David and Bathsheba. And then what happens in chapter 12? You got that one, Nate, uh, Chase? Yeah, so Nathan um, comes to David to confront him about his sin. But sometimes when we get really puffed up and arrogant and lie a lot, it takes a lot to prick us. And so Nathan tells this little parable. That's what it is. It's a parable to, to David. And the parable is supposed to get back to the roots of what David started off as. You know, that was a shepherd. And so he talks about there being two men, one rich man, and one poor man. And the rich man was a shepherd, and he had all of these flocks. He had hundreds in, in these flocks. But the poor man, he only had one lamb, one little ewe lamb that Nathan called his child. Like, that's how much this guy loved this little, this little lamb. And all of a sudden, there's a guy that's traveling through, and he goes to stay with the rich man. And the rich man realizes he needs to prepare this guy something to eat. So instead of taking something from his own flock, he goes and takes the poor guy's one little ewe lamb that he has. Yeah. And that's really the end of the story. But Nathan asks David, he gives it to him as if it's a real thing. And he asks David, what, what should we do about this? What do you think should happen? And it says, David's anger burned greatly against the man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. And he is just livid at the idea of this. And I think it gets back to his roots as a shepherd. Right. But of course, what Nathan turns around and does after David's anger is, is burned like this is he says, you are the man. Uh, you're the one that took Uriah, the Hittite's wife for yourself. And if God, if you had wanted more, God would have given you more, but you you went out of bounds. Um, and so it really was a, a low point in David's life. I, a small side point off of that, though. Uh, I heard someone once say that we either, we, we sometimes have two reactions to people's sin whenever there's sin in our life. Uh, we either overreact to it, which is what David does here, or we underreact to it, which is something David does later in his life as well. Um, right. Whenever his son commits a very similar sin, if not more heinous and worse. So anyways, uh, but yeah, so David's roots of a shepherd are definitely being exploited here to help him see and, his wrong. And all the way through David's life, you know, the, the, as the text describes David's life, pre-king, king, king uh, you know, you have all these allusions to sheep and shepherd. And so, you know, Psalm 23 just fits in here uh, someplace, uh, just very, very fitting for us. Um, and then... Again, we're just going to jump way ahead, and especially because of time, think about as some of the prophets talk about sheep and shepherds. Ezekiel 34 may be one of the most famous uh, for, for Bible students, at least of the prophets. 
Ezekiel 34, uh, God is condemning the religious leaders for abusing uh, and destroying the flock instead of taking care of them. And so in Ezekiel 34, 11 through 15, he says that he's going to take care of the flock himself. God is going to, to take care of them. And he says, is it, is it verse 23 there where he says that he's going to anoint, uh, he's going to appoint uh, David to, uh, to be their shepherd? Well, David's been dead for a long time. He's not talking about lit the literal David uh, that we were just discussing. He's been dead for, for hundreds of years. years. Um, uh, but he's talking about a future David, um, uh, Jesus Christ. And so you tie that in with John 10, Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. And so Ezekiel 34, sheep and shepherds, good and bad, sheep and shepherds, good and bad sheep even being talked about there. In I think that, it's uh, kind of important to emphasize there, just a, a brief aside, you talked about a future David, passages like this one in Ezekiel 34 and verse 24, where it says, I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them, even though the earthly David, the fleshly David, the son of Jesse, died 400 years earlier. They established that Jesus is the new David, so to speak, that David represents Jesus. And so then that's helpful when we look at some of the Psalms that David wrote uh, that end up uh, describing the crucifixion of Jesus or the suffering of Jesus or the betrayal of Jesus. And even though we can see in the Old Testament, David may be describing his own circumstance in some of those Psalms. And in some of the Psalms, maybe he actually is just voicing the Christ. It helps us to, to understand how that can be because David represented the coming Christ. That's exactly right. And so you have passages like Isaiah 53 uh, describing Jesus as a lamb led to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shears is silent. And so you have Jesus as both sometimes as the sheep and sometimes as a shepherd uh, in these Old Testament allusions. So amazing to stop. And, and you know, it just becomes an endless list of Old Testament lessons regarding shepherds and sheep. Let's jump here quickly to the New Testament and think about how uh, prominent that concept is as well. From the very beginning, you know, uh, you have in, uh, in Matthew 2, at the announcement of, uh, of Jesus, uh, of, of what the, when Herod is approached by the wise men and uh, told by the chief priest where the future king was to be born, they say in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets, uh, that's in verse 5 and verse 6, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Uh, reference back from, uh, from the book of Micah, chapter 5, but he's going to be a shepherd for them. And then when Jesus is born following Luke's occasion, uh, Luke's uh, gospel account, um, the very first evangelist regarding the, the coming of Jesus, uh, who is it that's out in the field that the angels appear to, and they become the ones who, tell, who begin telling the world that Jesus is here, that the Christ is here? The shepherds. The shepherds. Yeah, yeah. How fitting is that? You know, would we dare think, what a coincidence, they, they happen to be shepherds that the angels saw. <laughs> you know, there, that imagery is intended to, to provoke within us yeah. this imagery that we've been looking at from the Old and, Testament. And do I understand it that shepherds were kind of looked down upon at this point in Israel's history? Is that my understanding? Or has that never been substantiated? 
they were looked down upon by the Egyptians back in the book of Exodus. I don't think that they're really, they, they might not have been the most educated of the people, but I don't think they're looked down upon, really. I don't see that. Uh, so, so the religious leaders looked down upon everybody, um, uh, but I, yeah, I don't know that they would have uh, been looked upon any differently, but, but perhaps, I, I'm just not aware of that. But that book, uh, Jesus in the Time of Jerusalem, I believe it, it had something about shepherds in there, uh, if I'm not mistaken. It, it I could, uh, but anyways, that's neither here nor there, I'm sorry. Sure. So then Jesus comes uh, as he as he grows and uh, as a young man, he begins to preach before he preaches. You have uh, then John the Baptist comes before and announces who Jesus is. And so in John one and in verse twenty nine, and then he repeats it again in verse thirty five. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Um, uh, that's the way that Jesus described as the Lamb of God. And that's just powerful. Stop and just think about that phrase for a moment. You know, Abel offered up a, a from his flock. He offered up a lamb or a sheep. Uh, you know, you have the the ram offered up by by Abraham that God had provided. But but this is the lamb of God. This is God's providing the sacrifice. Uh, this isn't a, a, a lamb from some man's flock or just wandering around. God is specifically uh, providing for this. And, and he, I think even harkening back to that language in Genesis 22, the Lord will provide is what Abraham told Isaac regarding the sacrifice. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John, uh, John 10, you have uh, Jesus, uh, the, the I am, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Uh, no one takes it, but I lay it down. When Jesus is teaching, he, he would, would sometimes talk about sheep. You have the parable of the hundred sheep in Luke 15, the 99 safe ones and the one that has wandered away and how the shepherd goes to great lengths to, to, to save it, to bring it home and to rejoice over, over its salvation, over its rescue. And then at Jesus's death, well, shortly before his death, at least, uh, at his arrest, uh, remember when they when they arrested Jesus and bound him? Um, the the prophecy was fulfilled from Zechariah 13. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will uh, scatter. Scatter. Thank you. I couldn't think of the word there. Uh, I wanted to say abandon, but and, which is the right idea? But scatter. Yes. Um, uh, and so even at Jesus's death, you have that uh, at his arrest, you have that imagery of shepherd and sheep, and then connected with that. When Paul is describing Jesus in 1 Corinthians 5 and in verse 7, he says, Christ is our Passover lamb. When we're talking about God's people, where we, we talk about the, uh, the role of leaders in congregations, in 1 Peter 5 and verses 2 through 4, we talk about elders uh, needing to be shepherds, Christ being the chief shepherd, and so elders are sort of fulfilling what they should have been doing back in Ezekiel 34, taking care of the sheep, realizing that they have a shepherd over them as well. And then maybe one of the most powerful images that you have of, of, of shepherds and sheep, at least in my mind, is in Revelation chapter 5. Remember in Revelation 4, the one sitting on the throne with the book in his right hand, and nobody's worthy to open it and to reveal what's to happen. And uh, then John is told, behold, that there is one. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He is worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. And behold, I looked, and there was a lamb as though it had been slain. Mm -hmm. 
you know, wow, what, what imagery. Uh, Jesus is worthy because he's the lamb who was slain. Chapter 12 goes into more detail about Jesus and in, 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 that, uh, in that language as well. Um, again, I'm skipping a lot of different passages, right? Um, Psalm 100 is one that comes to my mind as well. I don't have on the chart. Uh, Psalm 100, I forget which verse it is, maybe three or something, uh, that we are the sheep of his pasture. Um, we are not our own. We are the sheep. For, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and so just so many passages. Well, what does, we just need to appreciate that, that that is a major theme. You know, there are several major themes that, that run from beginning to end of, uh, of the Bible. Uh, things like water, uh, trees, you know, there's, there's a lot of themes. But sheep and shepherd, it, it's got to be one of the, the biggest themes throughout scriptures. And so then I want us to come back to, Psalm 23, and uh, think a little bit more uh, about the significance of that. We've got about 15 more minutes here, so I think we've got plenty of time to, to do this. Did, did, I did, I'm sure I skipped over some. Did you guys have any other uh, sheep shepherd passages that you want to? I just want to make one observation. As you go through all of the Bible and all this emphasis on sheep, sometimes in the Old Testament, you'll see references to flocks uh, and goats or sheep mixed together, in other words. Uh, in Leviticus chapter one, I think it's about verse three or four, it talks about the sacrifice that somebody might bring from the flock, whether from the, uh, I can't remember how it says it, whether from the herd or the flock, maybe. Right. Um, and, and the distinction is gonna be between, I think, between goats and sheep. Um, and then you get to Matthew chapter 25 and Jesus separates the yes. sheep and the goats. And so, you, you had the photo, in fact, you still have the photo on screen there from my son's farm. He has sheep. My wife has had a few sheep through the last 15 years, and we've had goats. And the difference in the behavior of the two is so interesting. Goats are always getting into trouble. Uh, they're going to do what they want to do. Sheep are more kind of do what they're supposed to do. They don't tend to get in trouble. They just go and graze. And they're very dependent upon you. To, and and it, there's, there's various parallels to those who are dutiful followers of the chief shepherd and those who kind of want to rebel and do their own will. And Libby and I have supposed that, you know, this is not an accident. God created these animals and used these animals uh, with a view to creating a, in, in the animal world, a representation of two different spiritual um, characters. So, yeah, yeah. great, very, very helpful. Yeah, Matthew twenty-five is one I definitely need to add to the to the chart, and, and that's a that's a helpful connection to make with Leviticus as well. Thanks. Well, let's jump back to uh, Psalm twenty-three and uh, take a, now. We'll just kind of zoom in on uh, this passage for a few minutes and uh, and think about the significance of it understanding that sheep and shepherds are intentionally used throughout the whole Bible to describe our relationship with God. And so Psalm 23 just encapsulates that so perfectly uh, and, and so poetically. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, 
For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So just want to pick out a few different phrases here to, to, to think about and make some connections with. Uh, he says that the Lord is my shepherd. And so he begins the psalm by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, and he ends the psalm by saying, that's where I'm going to stay. Uh, you know, I, I think that's helpful to see that connection. The Lord is going to guide me, and that's where I'm going to end up. As long as I am the sheep that is recognizing who my shepherd is, then I'm going to be in his house. I'm going to reside with him. Um, uh, that's, that's pretty important. We'll come back to that thought in just a minute. But then in the second verse, he says, he makes me to lie down. You know, the, the idea of being able to lie down for, for sheep, um, what would give them, uh, what, 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 what is it about the shepherd that's going to give them the ability to lie down, do you think? security and satisfaction they've, they've eaten they've had their fill they're they're sitting down and digesting their food in security without being concerned about uh attacks from wolves or that kind of thing exactly yeah. wolves coyotes lamb, uh, lions bears what whatever animals it might be again thinking through some of those passages um uh, they have peace uh they're not worried they're, they've been well taken care of uh, in, in all of this that's exactly right and you have that green pasture imagery uh here and even in the the picture i think helps us to see that and, and joe before you get too far from verse one because i think a lot of people may may miss this phrase i shall not want uh we don't use the word want in this way a whole lot today in current english but here the idea is i shall not lack is what want means to be in want is to be in need to be in lack I will have no lack because the Lord is my shepherd. He provides. Yeah, yeah. And, and so you, you have all of these passages then that come to my mind about how, uh, you know, we live with contentment. We do all things without grumbling and complaining. Um, uh, you know, the, uh, the Shunammite woman, I live amongst my people. You know, all of those images of, of God's taking care of me. Uh, I, I have what I need because the Lord has provided. Verse 3 he restores and he leads, or he leads and he restores. Um, uh, you know, again, uh, that, 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 that picture of the, the shepherd who is going to take care of, he's going to heal, uh, you know, what the, what the religious leaders weren't doing in Ezekiel 34. Uh, David sees the Lord as the one who's going to guide him and is going to take care of him in, in all things. And then skip down a little bit in verse 5, he's preparing a table. Now, that imagery might be a little bit strange because you don't normally think, unless you've been in, in Jeff's house, you wouldn't normally think of, of sheep or whatever being inside of a house sitting at a table. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, uh, when he's saying you prepare a table, perhaps he's changing a little bit the imagery um, and that happens in the, in the scriptures, you know, you have that with Nebuchadnezzar, you know, the, the imagery changes a little bit, but I think it's also pretty easy to see how that flows in preparing a table. It's not actually the, the wood top, uh, with, with legs, right? He's not building a piece of furniture. He, he is, he's providing for the, uh, the needs of, uh, of the, the shepherd is providing for the needs of this sheep. And so thinking about all of those, then the conclusion is, oh, uh, also my cup runs over. I should have said that one as well. Uh, over an abundance. And so, so as a result, oh, go ahead. 
So you, you don't think that, I, I guess I'd always just suppose that David actually, he, he leaves behind the imagery of the sheep and the shepherd here in verse five, that of course he's all, all along been talking about himself. Uh -huh. I'm, I'm the sheep that the Lord provides for, but I'm not literally a sheep. So I had always supposed when we get to prepare a table and my cup runs over my head, you anoint that he's kind of left the sheep imagery. You think he's still using the sheep imagery? I'm not sure. I, I think that that's possible, and and, and I, I certainly see a good argument for that. I've also heard some good arguments for the anointing heads of, of sheep to to keep flies off, and and as a, as a healing measure as well. Um, uh, so uh, I'm not I'm not thoroughly convinced. I'm, I guess I'm okay either way. Um, but but the, the the word enemy there seems a bit stronger than just a predator for the sheep. And so I think that your point, I think, would be strengthened by, by recognizing that word uh, uh, enemy there. I think he may, he may be leaving that imagery at that point. Um, so let's then skip over or skip back to hold your place here in Psalm 23 and look over at Mark chapter 6. I think that this is so helpful. You know, when... Uh, uh, when David says these things, you know, a thousand years before Christ, um, and then Jesus comes, and you have a, this, uh, just this event that unfolds in Mark 6, beginning in verse 33 through 44, the feeding of the 5,000. And let's just note how, how important this event is. There are, two, um, there are two miracles that are told in all four gospel accounts. The resurrection and the feeding of the 5,000. Those are the only two miracles that all four gospel writers describe. Uh, if there's a third one, I don't know what it would be. Um, but, but I think that that helps us to see how significant the feeding of the 5,000 is really intended to be. Uh, you know, every miracle that Jesus did is a great lesson for us uh, in many different ways. But clearly, the feeding of the 5,000 was something that captured the attention of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they spend time writing about it. Mark doesn't spend very much time uh, describing events, right? You know, he, he's sort of known to, to just push through something really quickly and say, and then this happened, and then this happened, and we get to Mark 6, and he's like, slow down. <laughs> let's describe everything uh, that happened with John the Baptist's death, and now let's go into great detail about the feeding of the 5,000. That's kind of out of character for, for Mark. Yeah. Um, but notice some of the language that's used here in Mark 6, beginning of verse 33. But the multitude saw them departing, uh, multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them. Sheep not having a shepherd. That's why Moses said we need to appoint a new leader. Uh, Numbers 27, 17, so that the nation of Israel would not be like sheep without a shepherd. And so what, what Joshua was to the nation of Israel Jesus is here perfectly to, uh, to uh, the, the nation of Israel in his day and to the world even. Um, and so you have this sense of they were sheep without a shepherd. What do they need then? They need the Lord. Um, they need the Lord to be their shepherd. Uh, we keep on reading verse 35. 
When day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place. The hour is already late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages, buy themselves bread, for they had nothing to eat. So he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. Uh, they said, uh, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Verse 39. Look at verse 39. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. Why? Who cares what color the grass is? Why would well, you include that detail? We also know what color grass is, so why are we talking about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, maybe it was brown, but but like, what difference does that make? Why would you include the the color? You know, when when you see something like that in the text, it ought to cause us. We ought to be like, why does he give that adjective? Why why does he why does he describe it in that way? That's what Psalm 23 and verse 2 says that the Lord does for us. And so the Lord is being their shepherd, and he is having them to sit down in the green grass. Um, you have He begins to teach them um, back in verse 34. That's what the shepherd is really needs to do. You know, this is a spiritual lesson. It's a parable in action. The things that Jesus is doing, he's doing these things physically, but he's trying to teach a spiritual lesson behind this. He's preparing a table for them. Notice what it says in verse 41. He blessed the food. He broke it. He gave it. He's the one that's preparing all of that. And then what happens in verse 42? They all ate and were satisfied. Yeah, and there's leftovers. Twelve baskets left over, right? Um, uh, that, that's pretty incredible to think about. Twelve baskets. I'm imagining each of the apostles. I don't know that this is what happened, but I imagine each of the apostles coming back with one basket going, you're not going to believe this. And then they're all looking at each other and they all have, you know, it, it's just amazing. How much, how could there be that much left over? Because when the Lord is our shepherd, our cups run over. What he has to offer is exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think, Paul talks about in Ephesians. It is just so helpful for us to see this picture and then to recognize that conclusion is, I shall not want. Uh, there's, I have no lack. There, there's nothing that I need as long as the Lord is with me. And so we need to decide which one we're going to be. Are, are we going to be the sheep that are grateful, or are we going to act like those goats that, uh, that Jeff was talking about a moment ago in Matthew chapter 25? So when we look at Psalm 23, I think it's fairly self-explanatory, but I love the fact that we have this uh, inspired application to it in the feeding of the 5,000. We're out of time. You guys got anything you want to add here at the end? I'm sorry for dominating so much. No, thanks, Joe. Thanks, thanks for walking us through that. Well, thanks, everybody, for, for listening. And again, if anybody wants the slides, uh, let me know. I'll be happy to, to provide those. Uh, um, and uh, uh, appreciate so much you, you joining us this evening. And the, the Lord be with you all.